Hey, if you got your Bible, go ahead and turn to Hosea chapter 14. This is our, our last night in Hosea, Hosea 14. Hosea 14. Hey, by the way, before we get uh, going too far, um, don't forget, next week we're starting our series um, uh, called God's Will. It's bigger and simpler than you think. And I really do think this is... Uh, this next series, just a three-week series, but I think it'll be a great opportunity to bring, to bring friends to. I think they'll be interested in it. I think uh, we'll be talking about some things that every student, every person your age has struggled with and, and, and pondered sometime. And so I think, uh, hopefully you're always thinking about who you can invite, but next week, these next three weeks, I think it'll be a really good opportunity to do that. Hosea 14, Hosea 14. So all of us have things in life that we... Um, are kind of proud of. And I don't mean like, like a jerk way proud of, but you're just kind of proud of, right? So like, I know we got some South Plains uh, runners over here, and you're kind of proud of like first and second place this past weekend, right? Everybody give them a hand real quick. It's pretty sick. Yeah. Re- that was regionals, right? That was regionals. And then two weeks you go, or like a week and a half, you go to Kansas for nationals, right? Awesome. And then two weeks after that, you go to internationals. Just kidding. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, some of us are really proud of, like, theatrical ability. That girl, right? <laughs> some of us are proud of maybe some things you've done with school. Some of you are proud of, uh, you're like, you know, maybe you're like a senior in college, and you remember back, you're like, man, when I was in high school, man, I was just the sickest football player ever. And we're like, dude, you need to move on, right? <laughs> we all have things we're proud of, whatever they are. So I want you to, I want you to take a moment. Again, this is, you're not bragging. I'm telling you to do this. Take a moment with like, somebody beside you, one or two people beside you, and tell them something that you're proud of, maybe an accomplishment, something that you're, you're just kind of proud of. You with me? Make sense? I'm going to give you about a minute to do that. Ready? Go. Yes. All right, so everybody, everybody get a chance to share? Feeling good? Some proud things in here? Did anyone ha- share something incredible, like that you knew, like you won a gold medal and you haven't told anybody, but now you just told somebody? Anybody? Katie Ritchie, gold medal. Congratulations. Zach graduated high school. Let's give him a hand, y'all. That's my dog. That's my dog. <laughs> hey, man, living the dream, dog. All right, so at the same, we all things we're proud of. At the same time, if we're honest, we all have things in our lives that we're actually like really seriously ashamed of. You know, t- raise your hand if you know what I'm talking about. Thing, I said, mm-hmm. Thing, things that, you, that you've done that you know hurt somebody. Maybe you, you realize like 
they hurt you. And honestly, when you think about like what you did, and this just to clarify, this could be like things maybe you've had like a habit of doing, or it could be like just this one time thing. You're like, man, I, like it was just this big, really dumb mistake, and you're like, man, I can't believe I did that. Because you realize like it was not good for you. You realize it hurt other people. We all have those things. What I want you to do now is go ahead and share with the people around you those things. I'm just kidding. No, just kidding. No. <laughs> All right, some of y'all look. At, some of y'all looking at me like that boy is crazy. I'm about to slap him. Uh, hey, wh- why would you not? Why would you not do that? Why would you not do that? Yeah, you're embarrassed, right? And rightfully so. Yeah, we all have things that when we think about, like honestly, we're like, man, that it's embarrassing. We're ashamed, and, and honestly, we should be, right? A lot of those things. You think about it, you you realize you should be ashamed. Do you ever notice that those things, like when you've hurt somebody, when you've done something, the closer you are to the person, the more it hurts, right? The more you're like, man, I, I can't believe I did that. Do you have things in your life that you think about that you're ashamed of, that you're, can't believe you did, things like that, that in relation to God? I'm not saying that real well, but are there things that you, when you think about your relationship with God that you feel like, man, like, I can't believe I did that. I can't believe I acted that way towards God. I can't believe I ignored him that way. Do you have things like that? You know, what's, what's frustrating, what's sad is that when we, when we sin, when we do things we know we shouldn't, it, it always breaks relationship. That's true with, like, horizontal relationships, the people around you, and also true with your vertical relationship with God, right? That when you, when you do things that you shouldn't, when you do sinful things, Dirty things, shameful things, whatever, fill in the blank. It, it kind of breaks that relationship with God, right? Not, I'm not talking about losing your salvation, but that as, even with the relationship, there's, it creates distance. You know, you know that good and well, right, with the people around you. That Even if you have a great relationship, if you sin against them, if you do things that are hurtful, it, it creates distance. The reality is, like, we're prone to this. There's that old hymn, you, you guys may know, Come Thou Found. Our, our hearts are prone to wander. Our, our hearts are prone, which that means, like, we do it a lot. We're prone to leave the God we love. Man, when we sin against God, when we do things that hurt his heart, when we do things that kind of separate us in that relationship, how do we restore that? How do we, how do we come back to that? I feel like when you... All of us, you know, when you do those things, you just want to get it off. It's kind of like, this is like dumb and stupid, but come you step in dog poop, you're like, I just want to get it off, right? This is disgusting. That's kind of how it is, like with sin, you're just like, I just, I just want to get it off. I Think about Adam and Eve, a perfect relationship with God in the garden, right? Perfect. And they sinned, and it says that they, they hid from God. And honestly, though we know it's easy to say, well, they shouldn't have because God was going to forgive them. Like, I don't blame them, right? When you mess, and none of us, none of us, we can't even imagine that because none of us have experienced a perfect relationship. You may say, me and my boo, it's perfect. No, it's not perfect, right? No human relationship is perfect. They had a perfect relationship with God. And then what they did, they sinned against him. They, they disobeyed him and broke that perfect relationship. I cannot imagine the shame that they experienced. How do, you, how do you restore? How do you, how do you heal that relationship? Because we've all felt that way, that shame, where we just want to hide from God. We don't want to come, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> we don't want to come to church. We don't want to read our Bible because we're, we're ashamed. I think about Peter. 
We talked about this last week. God, Jesus, I, I, will, I will die for you. I'll do anything for you. And then at the moment, you could say perhaps Jesus needed Peter most. Not that he needed him, but in the moment that Jesus could have used a true friend, what did Peter do? He denied him three times. He says after that he went and wept. I cannot imagine the shame that he felt after doing what he, he knew was wrong. Even if no one else, even if no other Christians they weren't called that at that time, but even if no other Jesus followers would find out about what he did, he, he knew what he did was wrong. Man, we've all done things where we know, like, yeah, we talk big, I'm going to live for God. And then we go out and with our words and with our actions, we, we deny him. And we, man, we feel shame, we feel guilt. I don't know about you, but when I, when I have those moments, I, I, I want that relationship to be restored. Don't you? Man, I, I, it's one of those things where you're like, man, I want to feel close again. Even like, just like with, with friend, horizontal relationships, friendships, when it's broken, Man, hopefully, if, if you love that person, something in your gut is like, man, I just want to restore. I want to make things right again. How do you restore a relationship with God when you've sinned so terribly? Think about the people. We've been studying Hosea, and even if you haven't been here, it's okay. We've been studying Hosea, and to kind of give a DTR to the people, to find their relationship, to help the people understand how they've been treating him and how they are acting in their relationship. He says, y'all are acting like a bunch of whores. Spiritual adultery, in other words, like, like fancy words for, you don't love me anymore. Your heart is far from me. It's pretty serious. And I believe because God's word is inspired, through God giving that message to them, he also gives it to us that we as his people are prone to act like adulterers. We are prone to love other things than him. We're prone to, to mess up that relationship because of the way we fall in love with other things. We pursue other things. We ignore what he's told us to do. How do we restore relationship when we've sinned so sickly and shamefully against God? How do you restore that relationship? I love Hosea 14 because it gives us the answer. Man, Hosea has been filled, honestly, I don't know about y'all, but it's kind of beat me up a little bit because like week after week, he's like, God to Hosea is like, man, you don't love me, you're running from me, you're sinning. It's kind of like, kind of beat you up a little bit. How can we have that relationship restored? Hosea chapter 14. Return, O Israel. Again, Israel is the people of God. Return, O Israel, to the Lord your God. For you have stumbled because of your iniquity. So I love this. It's so cool. As much as they, as they have run away from God... God's saying, hey, hey, come back. You can return to me. Just come on back. Just come on back. Quit running. Verse 2, take with you your words. So how are you supposed to return? What does it look like to return to God? He says, take with you your words and return to the Lord. Say to him, take away all iniquity, accept what is good, and we will pay with bulls the vows of our lips. I don't really like the, this is ESV, I don't really like the way the ESV Words this essentially it's saying we're gonna we're gonna our sacrifice of bulls like our in that time old testament time they would uh sacrifice bulls and he's saying god take our words our confession of our lips and our hearts take that as our our vow that we want to come back to you take away all iniquity so to return to the lord it looks like this to say god we realize, I realize I've been sinning. I realize I've been ruining from you. I realize I've been loving other things, and I want to come back 
to you. Take away my iniquity. Cleanse me. Forgive me. Purify me. I, I want to be close again. Please take away this sin. And again, I'm, I'm coming with all I have, with the confession of my heart, my mouth, with my, with my lips. God, I want to live for you. Psalm 51, 16 through 17 says, For you do not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O oh God, you will not despise. What does God want? He doesn't want you just pay him more money in the offering plate or try to please him through, like, treat him like he's a vending machine. Well, I'll deal with him. I'll do this and type this in and get, like, some forgiveness. But he wants you to come with a broken heart and say, God, I realize I've messed up. I've been sinning. I've not been living for you. When their confession, their repentance gets a little more detail. Look at verse 3. It says, Assyria shall not save us. Do you remember? You, you can answer me here. Why would, why would they say that? So again, this is still God's telling them what, how they should confess, how they should repent. And he says, you should say, Assyria, your heart, your heart should say, Assyria shall not save us. Why would he tell them to say that? Do you remember kind of the history of what's going on? It's been like, since the beginning of the semester, we talked about that. So if you don't, it's okay. Bless you. Who had they been relying on and turning to for their hope? Assyria, right? Do you remember they were they were looking to Big Brother Syria to, to Assyria to save them, to rescue them, to to take care of them. And all through Hosea, God's saying, hey, why are you turning to them? They can't help you. I'm the only one that can help you. Why are you turning to them for salvation, for hope, for, to provide for you good things? I'm your provider. Why, why are you turning to those things? So to confess is to come and say, God, Assyria won't save us. God, I realize that the things I've been turning to, the, the people I've been turning to, the ideas I've been hoping in are not going to save me. They're not going to help me. You are my help. You are my Savior. You're the one that can take care of me. We will not ride on horses. We're not going to trust in our military. We're not going to trust in our own strength. We're going to trust in you, God. God, I'm not going to trust in my own ability, my own talents, my own gifts. God, I'm going to trust in you from here forward. And we will say no more, our God, to the work of our hands. In you, the orphan finds mercy. He's saying if you're going to confess, if you're going to repent, what you need to do is turn away from your idols. Quit, quit calling things that you make with your own hands your God. Quit worshiping other things. Man, I know we don't, it's not that I'm aware of, none of you have a little idol at your house that you go and bow down to and worship, but all of us have things that we think about or love or pursue more than God, and that is what an idol is. So confession, repentance is, is coming and saying, God, I, I know I've had this idol in my life, this thing I've been thinking about pursuing or loving more than you, and God, I want to turn away from that, because I re- I, I'm confessing, I realize that that's not God. That pales in comparison to you. So I want to lay that down. And you, the orphan, finds mercy. God, I realize that <laughs> my only hope is you. Without you, I'm like a fatherless child. I, I, I don't have hope. I, you're the only one that's going to take me in and rescue me. So, God, I confess, I repent. I'm repenting of what I've been doing, and I want to come back in a right relationship with you. What happens 
when we repent. What happens when we confess, when we repent of what we've been doing? When we turn from our sin and turn back towards God. And keep in mind, he's addressing God's people here. So to translate this to us, this is addressed to believers. So this is not, oh, this is for those sinners out there who don't know God. This is for Christians who have been running away from God. And he's calling them to repent from their sin, to turn from their sin, and turn back to that relationship with God. And look what happens when we do that, when we repent. I love this. Verse 4. I'll be honest. He kind of uses, he's using language that would have popped off the page to, to Israel at this point. It would have made perfect sense to them. So at first, you're not like, what is he talking about? But I'll try to sum it up for you real simply. Verse 4. So here's what happens when we repent. I will heal their apostasy. I will love them freely, for my anger has turned from them. I will be like the dew to Israel. He shall blossom like the lily. He shall not, excuse me, he shall take root like the trees of Lebanon. His shoots shall spread out. His beauty shall be like the olive, and his fragrance like Lebanon. They shall return and dwell beneath my shadow. They shall flourish like the grain. They shall blossom like the vine. Their fame shall be like the wine of Lebanon. You know what he's saying? When you repent, I am going to restore you. Man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bless you. I'm not gonna, when you repent, I'm not going to hold you at arm's length and say, too late, you messed up. He's saying, you know what? My arms are open wide. I want to I wanna bless you. I want to help you flourish. I want to take care of you. If you'll just repent, if you'll just turn from your sin, man, I've got so, so much for you, so much in store for you, but you've got to turn from, you've got to quit running from me and turn back to me. In verse uh, 5, we talked about being the dude to Israel so in, in Israel, especially in ancient times, but even now, the summer months, which like uh, April to October for them, are incredibly, incredibly dry. And for plant life to have any hope at surviving and, and blossoming, they, they rely on the dew that comes from uh, really the clouds that come in from the Mediterranean Sea. Without that dew, like literally the, most of the plants would die in that region. God's saying, look, I'm your only hope. So even when everything else has abandoned you and run from you, like seriously, like idols don't really take very good care of you. So even when everything else in your life is falling apart, I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to take care of you. I'm, I am what you need to continue surviving and living. I, I, I'm going to take care of you, but you've got to turn back to me. So you're going to take root. So instead of being like a tumbleweed in West Texas that's just flying on everywhere and has, and, and is dead, by the way, if you see a tumbleweed, normally it's dead, right? Then because of me, you're going you're gonna to be well-rooted. Your life is not going to be flopping around. Man, take root in me. I'm going to bless you if you'll return back to me. You're going to blossom. You're going to flourish. But what do you have to do? What do you have to do? Repent, yeah. Verse 8. Oh, Ephraim, this is... So, Verse 8 is like a reminder, and verse 9 is a charge. He says, Oh, Ephraim, what have I to do with idols? It is I who answer and look after you. I am like an evergreen cypress. From me comes your fruit. So he's reminding them again, Hey, what do I have to do with idols? And what should you have to do with idols? I'm the one that takes care of you, I'm the one that provides for you. So why would you turn to anything else? Verse 9 Whoever is wise, let him understand these things. Whoever is discerning, let him know them. For the ways of the Lord are right, and the upright walk in them. But transgressors stumble in them. What's the message of Hosea 14? 
Repentance leads to restoration. Look, y'all, I know confession and repenting is not popular in our generation, in our culture. Oh, man, now you're good. Just do what feels good. Hey, God's cool. He don't care about that. Just do your thing. You don't need to repent. That's just you, you know. You're just made that way, whatever. God says, no, when there's sin in your life, you need to confess it. You need to repent. And when you do, what am I going to do? When you repent, what am I going to do? I'm going to restore you. So again, I don't, God says, I don't hold, like stiff arm you. I don't hold you at a distance. When you repent, when you want to come back, then my arms are wide open. You just got to repent. How incredible is that? Think, again, remember, they've been acting like whores towards God, right? He says, the image is, I'm like a, a faithful husband and you're a prostitute running from me. And God says, yet, even, it, even while you're doing that, if you'll just repent and come home, man, my arms are wide open. You just got to come back. You just got to return. You just got to repent. Repentance leads to restoration. But that, that's, that's good news. Some of y'all have uh, heard this story before, but that's story before, but that's okay. When I was about seven or eight, uh, let me say this first. My dad was a pastor growing up. And um, we li- actually lived right on church property. And on Wednesdays, again, I was about seven or eight at this time. On Wednesday afternoons after school, me and my buddy Adam, would, we'd play for a couple, two or three hours out in the yard uh, just hanging out before church. So because, you know, seven or eight-year-old playing for several hours outside, Florida, it's always hot and muggy. Um, my, parent, my mom would just always say, hey, you take a bath or shower or whatever before you come to church. So I remember one particular uh, Wednesday afternoon, I'm in the bathtub, and, uh, and you, shouldn't, you shouldn't give little kids, like, free time in the bath, you know what I'm saying? Because they just do stupid things. So, hanging out in the bathtub, and I look over, and my older sister, who's about, uh, I guess, four or five years older than me, something like that, um, I look over, and I see that she has a razor sitting over on the side of the tub. And as a dude, I'm like, cool, a knife, right? <laughs> look at that blade. So, I pick it up, I'm kind of looking at it, and I'm like, man... I do this, you know, as a seven or eight year old boy, I don't really have like leg hair, I don't really have arm hair, didn't have a beard yet. If you do have a beard at seven or eight, you should go see a doctor or something, you know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> Jerry, that was Jerry Vega, right? <laughs> um, yeah, I'm like, man, what can I shave? And then it hit me I can shave an eyebrow. I'm like, no one will know, it's gonna be okay, I'm just gonna shave an eyebrow, no big deal, right? So, sure enough, take that razor. Take off my eyebrow. Get out of the shower. I'm like, oh, no big deal, whatever, you know. And I'm like, this thing's pretty cool. So get cleaned up, whatever. Go to church. And uh, I walk in and uh, I go to I get my plate of food. And I go to sit by my parents. And as I'm going to sit down, my mom goes, Brandon, where'd your eyebrow go? <laughs> and I'm just like, you know, you got to play. I'm just like, what are you talking about, mom? <laughs> She's like, your, your eyebrow is gone. What? She said, did, did anything? She said, was, was your eyebrow there this morning? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> yes, ma'am. She said, did anything happen between this morning and this afternoon that would cause your eyebrow to be gone? I, I don't know. I don't know. And mom, being very clever, she says, that's, that's strange. That's odd. Of course, at that time, I'm like, I'm going to go sit with my friends. I'll see you all later. <laughs> but you know, it's, it's interesting. As soon as I walked away, I felt guilty, and I felt like I couldn't look at my mom or my dad. My dad's just shaking his head like, you idiot. (laughs) (laughs) I wasn't ashamed because I'd shaved my eyebrow. I probably should have (laughs) been. 
I, mean, I felt ashamed and I felt distant from my parents because I, because I lied to them, right? I lied to them. And I felt, I remember going to sit down and like, oh, just feeling that weight, feeling like, man, I've I messed up this relationship. Weeks go by, and I'm not saying a word, right? I'm just like, man, I'm playing this cool. It'll grow back, Lord willing. So, but it's interesting. Even as I, like, delayed and put off making it right and saying something, I still, man, I just felt that, that shame. I felt that distance from them. I felt like I couldn't look my parents in the eye. I didn't really want to, like, spend time with them, you know what I'm saying? So finally, about three or four weeks later, start, starting to get have a few little, like, nubs come out of my eyebrow, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> What's up, guys? Three or four weeks later on a Saturday, I decide, you know what? Today's the day. No, I'm not going to shave them both. <laughs> not a bad idea, though. <laughs> I should tell you, like, this had nothing to do with what I'm talking about, but when I was in middle school, you know, sometimes in middle school you start getting some hairs going in the middle, a little unibrow going, you know what I'm saying? So being a smart 13-year-old, Again, see my sister's razor, still don't need my own. <laughs> so my sister's razor, I'm like, I if I just shave down the middle. So I, the problem is, you end up with two little nub eyebrows. <laughs> Anyways, I didn't lie to my mom about that, but she was like, just don't ever touch your eyebrows with a razor ever again. <laughs> Anyways, so back to that Saturday morning, again, three or four weeks after I lied to my parents, and like, there's been this distance. I decided today's the day, it's judgment day, right? Today, it's going down. <laughs> So I plop my feet off the floor, go back to my parents' room. It's pretty early, so they're not awake yet. Knock, knock on the door, and they're like, who is it? And Brandon, like, what are you doing? So I just need to talk to you. Like, come on in. So I go in, and of course, you, know, you take the, they're, they're like still laying in bed. I take the like receive mercy position. Like, hey, mom and dad, how's it going? <laughs> they're like, what are you doing? What do you want? And I just, I, I jump straight to it. I'm like, man, it's been three or four weeks. I just got to get to it. So I say, mom, dad, I want you all to know. Now, I lied to y'all. I did shave my eyebrow. <laughs> and my mom goes, I'm thinking they're going to be like, are you kidding me? And my mom goes, yeah, we know. <laughs> like, of course you shaved your eyebrow, right? It did not just fall off. And so we kind of laugh for a second. She's like, Brandon, yeah, like, we, we knew that. So we kind of laugh. And it was... It's funny because we did have a quick come to Jesus moment of why you don't lie, right? And how that was wrong. So they kind of, we talked through that. But man, when I left their room, oh my gosh, I felt so much better. As dumb as that was, I felt so, seriously, I felt so much better to like, man, like the relationship is restored now, right? Like we, I can look them in the eyes. I want to spend time with them. It's restored now. Where did that restoration begin? Yeah, when I repented, right? When I confessed. I guess I didn't repent really well since I later shaved my eyebrows again. <laughs> but, but still, I, I, at the best I could at that moment, I, I repented. I confessed. You know, some of you, actually, no, 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 let me rephrase that. All of us tonight, including me, for whatever it may be, need to go to our Heavenly Father's door, give a little knock, say, maybe, maybe take the like receive mercy position and say, hey, um, I know you already know this because you're not stupid, but there's some things I've been doing I want to confess. Maybe it's 
you've been really flaky. What I mean is, yeah, come church, worship, read my Bible, but then like weekends, like, let's go party. And you know you're good. That's not right. Maybe it's being a hypocrite. So you talk really well. Yeah, man, I love Jesus. But in reality, like, you, you don't ever live for him. Maybe it's pride. Maybe it's lust. Maybe it's jealousy. Maybe it's gossip. Maybe it's insecurity. Maybe it's turning to other, maybe it's idolatry. Maybe it's turning to other things and pursuing or loving or thinking about those things or that person more than God. Tonight, he's calling you to repent because repentance leads to restoration. So please, this is not, Hosea 14 is not God going, get your butt down here and tell me why you're sorry. It's it's the father saying, hey, my arms are open wide. Just, just, just come, please, just, just come. Because if, if you repent, there's, there's restoration. Some of you right now, you may be going, man, I don't, I don't know if I'm ready to give this up, but I know I should and, and I want to. And so you need to come tonight and just say, tell God that, God, I don't know how to give this up. I'm struggling with it, but I really, really do want to love you first. So, so here's my heart. I'm coming to you. I know your arms are wide open, so I want to repent. And please help me. Please restore me to love you more than I love other things. Some of you are, are probably maybe thinking, man, I, you just don't know what I've done. I've done some really bad things. I don't know if, I don't know if he'll let me return. You can't do any worse than they were doing, right? Some of you, like me, kind of struggle with, yeah, I know I repent, but you struggle with the latter part. You're like, I, I, you struggle believing that God really will restore you. I love 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify us, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He really will do that. Repentance leads to restoration. So in a moment, after I prayed and everything, the band's going to sing. I want to challenge believers to do something tonight. Because I think sometimes we have to do things, like, literally with our bodies to help our heart and mind get it. Like, we have to take a certain posture to help get it, what we're doing. And so, as we're singing in a moment, I'm going to invite you, maybe even challenge you. Not that anyone's looking or judging, but I want to invite you, challenge you to use this really like short wooden stage as an altar as to play, as a place to come and, and say God I want to repent of some things because I want to be restored to right relationship with you yes you could do it in your chair like my, our friend Walt Barnes always says decisions don't happen at altars they happen at hearts I do think so and I know he would agree sometimes it's good to take posture at what you might could consider an altar and say, God, I'm coming and I'm, I mean business. I really want to repent and get, get this out in the open. I want to restore relationship with you. So I'm going to challenge you to do that tonight as we sing. And remember, his arms are wide open, so you have nothing to be scared about as you come and repent. Some of you have, have never had a relationship with Jesus. What I mean is, this passage I really do believe is, a, is addressed to believers and, and restoring that relationship and turning from sin and kind of getting back in the right relationship. But some of you don't know God at all. You're dead in your sin. You, you've never experienced the love, the grace, the forgiveness, the hope, the mercy of Jesus. And so tonight, I want to invite you to similarly, similarly repent of your sins and say, God, I realize I'm a sinner. I realize that Jesus died for me. He lived the perfect life for me. Then he died for me and he rose again to offer me forgiveness and hope and love. And Jesus, I may not understand everything right now, but I know that you're God, that you're good, 
that I'm a terrible, sin, sinful person. And I want to put my faith and my hope and my trust in you. And I want, to, I want to live for you. I want you to be the Lord of my life. Some of you need to do that tonight. And I want to challenge you to do that. And as we're singing and, and repenting, I want to be standing in the back. And I want to love for you to come and say, hey, tonight I, I gave my life to Christ. Or, or I need some more help understanding what that looks like because I would love to. But probably the, probably the majority of us need to, to be here repenting of some sin. Because the Holy Spirit's pretty good at what He does. I'm sure there's something you can think of that you need to turn from. His arms are wide open. You just got to repent. I want to pray for us and then we're going to respond. Okay? God, we're thankful for your word. We're thankful that your arms really are open wide. We're thankful for this message of Hosea, God, that even when we run away from you and act like prostitutes in our relationship towards you, you still love us and will accept us. God, we just need to turn back to you. Thank you for pursuing us, for chasing us. God, I pray that tonight as we sing, as we respond, Lord, that you would be so real to us. God, I pray that we would be honest, that we wouldn't come before you hiding things or being fake, but God, that we would come to you and just lay it all out on the table. And God, turn away from our idols, turn away from the things we've been trusting in more than you. So God, I pray that you would move in our hearts and in our minds right now. Lord, I pray for the students, they would be bold and, and decide right now, God, to turn from the crap in their lives that is keeping them from you. Lord, help us to believe that when we repent, you really do restore us. And God, that your arms are wide open. So in your name we pray, amen.